So I'm right in saying that you guys have got access to about 400 million people, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. total combined reach across Facebook. 400 yeah, million people. Yeah, yeah. Across the world. Which is... We have followers in like Taiwan. Fucking stupid. Everywhere, like, yeah. what, like Who's got 400 million of anything? I know. Like, it's just crazy. When you put it into a graphic, it's like ridiculous. Welcome to Modern Wisdom, how are you? Good, thank you, how are you? Good, good drive? Yeah, yeah, good drive down from Newcastle to Manchester in the rain, which is typical British weather. Um, yeah. So, it's, it's crazy to come into this office, which is several thousand square feet and looks like a labyrinth, um, with sleeping pods and a bar and a fully functioning kitchen with yep. a chef in and all the rest of it, and this is where memes are made that, that run around the UK, it's, right? It's the meme factory, yeah. We, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't like that title. Um, but I saw when that article went out. It was, on the, was it on The Guardian? It was The Guardian, yeah. yeah. Um, it just called us The Meme Factory, which we are. You know, we, uh, we make a lot of, lot of content here, but um, yeah, a little bit about us. So we started um, in the room next door with like a white table, which is like the same one that we're on here. Mm-hmm. There was, the only thing is there was four of them, one for every <laughs> single person. And we were sat, and I think these are like very similar to the white tables we had. Mm-hmm. We, we got them as a little, little bit of a memory. Um, and we um, were working in the room, starting Social Chain, which is a marketing agency. Mm-hmm. And it took us, you know, three or four months to really find out that we were actually on something. And what was different between us and any other marketing agency is we own big communities. So mm-hmm. we own big social media pages from student problems, sport, love food, uh, beef motivation, uh, and we went and work with brands on them communities. So I'm right in saying that you guys have got access to about 400 million people, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The yeah. total combined reach across Facebook 400 yeah, million people. Yeah, yeah. Across the world. Which is... We have followers in like Taiwan. Fucking stupid. Everywhere, like, yeah. what, like who's got 400 million of anything? I know. Like, it's just crazy. When you put it into a graphic, it's like ridiculous. That's terrifying. But yeah. so I found out about you guys about two years ago from one of my best mates who actually worked for you. Yep. And what he explained to me about social chain at the time felt absolutely groundbreaking that you guys have access to the network, mm-hmm. you understand the platform, yep. and then you do the creative. Yep. And for me, I was like, how has no one come up with this before because influencers have been around for what like five ten years or yeah, I guess yeah. five years yeah, kind yeah, of really prevalent yeah yeah I think I think the reason we we fell upon it is that um we we had influence I guess but our influences wasn't our faces mm-hmm. so we had to we had to fight to what was the first page that you started off with student problems was it really yeah yeah and who started that? me you started yeah, student yeah, problems yeah. no way so I was I was at university in Edinburgh mm-hmm. um and I went out one night I don't know why. I, honestly, it was like a really heavy night. It was like a it's, it, Actually, do you know what? I think it's exactly five years ago today. No I think, way. I think, I'll double check. But I think it was the 7th of February. That's fantastic. So I think it is. Um, went out and woke up the next day and had no toilet paper in my toilet. <laughs> so instead of, you know, and literally the, the shop was down the bottom of the street. I could have walked and got it. So instead of going and getting it, I decided to start a Twitter page and tweet about my life. You didn't have any toilet paper. The fact I had no toilet paper. Yeah. And then for the next couple of weeks, 
just tweeting everything that I was doing, uh-huh. literally my life through yeah. my eyes. So, yeah. like realizing how expensive cheese was, for example, <laughs> which is very expensive when you when you when you move out. Um, I love cheese, uh, and then just little things like that, and then it got to like twenty thousand followers in the space of two weeks, and then. Um, Steve got in touch with me because he was running a website which was like Gumtree for students. Okay. It was called Wallpark. Right. And um, he was kind of just doing the traditional traditional marketing methods by leaflets and nightclubs and uh, everything else people do to try and reach students. And um, took a step back of it and actually realised that that social is where students are spending their attention. Absolutely. Looked on Twitter for students. Student problems came up, emailed me. We met in Vodka Revs in York. For about an hour, had a chat, and then after that conversation, I dropped, I dropped out of university, moved to Manchester, started working at Wall Park with him, and then we just built, built more and more social media pages to the point where we got about 10 million driving traffic to Wall Park. Realised that, you know what, one day we're going to have to get money from advertisers. Mm-hmm. We could drive a million people to Wall Park, but we've got 10 million people on social. Why would advertisers want to be on the website? when they can just be on the social media pages. You can go direct and cut out the middle. Right? Exactly. So we started putting brands on social, just got rid of the website, travelled the world, found more people who ran big social pages, like Hannah, who ran Hogwarts Logic, which is the biggest Harry Potter page. Yeah. Got them all together, put them in the warehouse here, um, and just we just tried to see if this was something. And it was. It definitely feels like it is, doesn't it? Hmm. It's it's cra- It's absolutely mad that you guys are at the forefront of a wave of sort of social media, not in terms of adoption, but more in terms of how it's how the use from marketing is being delivered to people. Yeah, um, I think that that organic, genuinely creative, adding value kind of content. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's um, meaningful. Yes. To people, people. We as a generation, I'm pretty sure everyone's got ad, ad blockers. Yep. on their laptop they're, they're sick of telling being told what to do by brands um, you know our whole thing is now about how brands can actually form a connection mm-hmm. and care about their consumers um, and we know as people individuals ourselves what we purchase now actually depends much more on what the brand says about us mm-hmm. rather than anything rather than quality rather than um, costs in some instances you self-brand with everything exactly, exactly. it's interesting coming at it from a club promoter's perspective because everyone goes out to a club event on a night and everyone listening will know you get tagged in the photos and then the next day the album goes up and then you get tagged in them and that tag stays on your Facebook profile with the watermark of the event at the bottom and that means oh I'm a a voodoo girl like I go voodoo I like this kind of music and immediately as soon as someone sees that on your Facebook profile they can make a whole bunch of assumptions about who you are and about the values that you have and they're not normally wrong no they're not which is I guess the same way you could probably do it through looking at someone's YouTube history. Yeah, which is- I always say that. You know, the, the YouTube, if you go on someone's YouTube suggested videos, yeah. that is how you find out who they are. That's a really, really good point. Honestly, it works it's with just girls. As well, it's just as well Girl, the history isn't public, is it? Girls, honestly, it's the worst one. Cause a lot, a lot, <laughs> honestly, girls, a lot of them have got serial killers. A lot of them. Murders and mass murders and serial killers. Really? Yeah. Because they're just in- inclusive. They're really interested in like crime and stuff. Yeah, they? my, my ex missus was actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're trying to find out. All, they all want to be detectives for some, reason, for some reason. Fair enough. Um, so you've got yourself into social chain. Yeah. Is that where did you, when did you begin the actual um, brand of social chain? When did that start? Yeah. So we were at Wall Park for about. Steve, was, Steve started it when he was um, 18, so he was doing it for about three years. I was there for about a year. 
Um, and then when we sold that back to the investors, we had a bit of time out where we went traveling the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, there was this kind of talk of social chain. We came up with the name pretty early on when we stood at Wall Park, but mm-hmm. it didn't mean anything. Yeah. Um, we were like, this is like social chain, social chain of pages, you know, this, this, this is what it is. It's our social chain. It's what's driving people to Wall Park. And then we went to Thailand, uh, went to Brazil, New York, did a you know a bit of living. Not bad fact finding. No, not bad. No, we were, we were doing a lot of market research. <laughs> 21, 20, We actually spent some time in Silicon Valley doing some. Actually, consulting. did do some work. Yeah, we did do some work. Yeah, <laughs> um, we went to the World Cup in Brazil, which was cool. That's sick. That was really good. Yeah, um, but I thought it was going to be full of girls, but it was the World Cup, and it was just full, of blokes. full of blokes everywhere. Yeah. Argentinians everywhere. <laughs> Which is cool, but yeah, nice for a while. But when, when you're twenty, when you're twenty-one, and you go to Brazil for the first time, you're expecting like something different. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and then we came back from that because one of our clients, who we were doing consultancy for, wanted us to launch their new product. Okay. So we launched that new product, and they turned around and offered us investment. Wow. Yeah. So um, did really well. Got to about four million users. They invested, and that's when Social Chain became a thing. Okay. Which was 3rd of November 2014. So that's not long ago at all. No. You're talking like three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half. Not well, yeah, three, three years, so three years. That's crazy. And to get from there to now, accessing 400 million people, um, can you think of a top three favourite campaigns that you guys have done? Anything mm. that springs to mind that people might know? Yeah, we did. Um, the, one, the one most people will know is we did a campaign um, where we hijacked a billboard in Manchester and put welcome to Zlatan when Zlatan Ibrahimovic signed for Man United. Yeah. That was pretty well known. Uh, but we've done some really cool things. In, um, the stuff I like that we've done is a little bit more underground. Mm-hmm. So we've done some really cool campaigns with Skybet um, where we filmed two grands doing, taking part in Super 6 which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was kind of showing the use case of the app. Um, and then I think, you know, go back to the crazy side of things, we blew up a VW Beetle, a super dry on Halloween. Right. Which was pretty fun. Was that on Facebook Live? Yeah, Facebook Live, yeah. Was yeah. that one of the ones where press yeah, fire yeah, to do press it? press fire, Okay. Yeah, did you see it? Um, I saw, did you guys do the one, was it Pretty Little Thing? Yep. Yeah, which was like, a, was that maybe a balloon? Yeah, yeah, we did a balloon, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I've seen, I saw the one for that. Yeah, we blew, we blown a couple of things up. And that's like one of the most highly engaged Engaged live streams, yeah. Ever. Yeah, 2.5 million views, about a million comments. In probably a couple of hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as soon as I saw that go out, I then saw ones where ice creams were melting in the sun and people had to comment on which one was going to melt first. Yeah, yeah. That kind of was the first foray into seeing that sort of stuff go out live. So we were the first people to do produced live streams. Yes. So you can put a phone up and live stream... Like the the drum and puddle. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's yeah. Drum and, so drum and central is just around the corner. Yeah, from yeah, yeah. Us. That was funny. That was the first ever use of live stream on social. Was it really? Yeah. Well, the first, it was accidental. It was like, but it was really good. Um, but we were the first ones to do a kind of orchestrated, yes, planned, produced live stream. Mm-hmm. Um, which then we just blew more things up and did some quizzes. But it's been that, that kind of like fast fashion space, super dry, boohoo, mm-hmm. pretty off where we've been really successful. So everyone that's listening will use social media to some extent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will use it, but in one form or another to either raise their profile, which is uh, brings them some sort of equity back. Mm-hmm. Um, or like myself, it becomes kind of a little bit more of a brand and is directly associated with what your company's doing. Yep. Are there any... 
Are there any principles that you think that you've found out that people should be using on social media? Because it's very easy to get caught up, and we'll go into this in a second, it's very easy to get (laughs) caught up and distracted on social media because that's the purpose of it. Yeah. But in terms of trying to use it effectively, I mean, I'm going to guess adding a producing content that adds value whether it's personally or commercially yeah. I think I think um, what you touched on there in terms of like personal branding mm-hmm. everyone's really got to understand where social fits into their life um, it's like a shot window for who you are as a person so you really need to um, if you want to some people don't want to do this but if you want to like use it to your advantage mm-hmm. um, and really like showcase you as an individual or you know what you're trying to achieve in your life and your journey you've got to just think about what you want it to how you want it to come across mm-hmm. and I think uh, some people are on the other side of the coin they just want to use it to get in touch with their friends and stuff friends. like that yeah. well yeah my mum my, my does it she's got one friend on Facebook and it's me is it and oh. she, she like um, will message backwards and forwards and send videos yeah. and the usage of it will be really heavy but, but it's incredibly diff- narrow <laughs> yeah my grand's the same she's got 30, like 30 friends which is all family mm-hmm. but every time I post anything I get like 10 likes because I've got my mum my dad my grand my granddad my aunt it's like alright oh, so you're straight you're already boosted I'm boosted yeah, it looks like a really engaged post yeah yeah you've but, nailed it yeah I think the key is like really understand like auditing yourself and why you should, why you should be using it mm-hmm. it's difficult because we say this we say this from because I always feel like saying this from someone who like knows the world like like we'll go into it more but like what, what, what we've both been through a little bit older mm-hmm. it's very difficult for 17 16 year olds to really understand to have that perspective yeah yes. no, I, I, I agree um, so I think one of the things that I want to talk about today is the ethical use of time on social media mm-hmm. um, it's as far as I'm concerned an emerging topic at the moment yep. I wouldn't say that it's been tremendously widespread yet um, but Sam Harris and a guy called Tristan Harris, who was product philosopher at Google, did a really famous podcast about three months ago. You can find it on Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up, on iTunes. If you want to have a listen yourself, and timewellspent.com is Tristan Harris's website. And on that, what he discusses is the cognitive biases that are being leveraged by apps and Mm -hmm. by um, developers in order to keep people's time on site. Mm -hmm. And they say that there's only so many hours in the day and that YouTube is competing with Facebook, is competing with Netflix, is competing with everything Mm -hmm. to try and maximise the time on site. So I wanted to ask yourself, as someone who is driving engaging content online, which means that people's time on site and time on screen will be increased, do you, have you got any concerns about this? Yeah, I think, I've taken a step back also, is we are um, very... As a, as a humans or animals so we are very influenced by like social and you can see it on games like Candy Crush the way they reward the kind of dopamine levels with their hits and their like you know all that is designed towards keeping people addicted um, I am under the strong belief that um, from two sides of the coin really as a publisher people always consume content it's always been the same we've had the same issues with, with TV to an extent, not more of the um, addiction side of things, but the, the kind of, um, I guess you have got small obsession with TV. You know, you do find people who are very sedimentary because they're always on watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with what is the important thing about social is um, it's the age of people. Again, the younger generation, these people mm-hmm. are a lot more highly influenced. They're not as developed. They're not as um, assured of themselves, let alone their, their surroundings. So yes, I do feel kind of, 
um, responsible in that instance. And I think more can be done to educate young people. But again, it's very difficult because they're in they're young. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of things on the plate. It's already. interesting because you guys have got you've got the access, yeah. which is from knowing what the company is about. I'd definitely say that everybody here, as far as I'm aware, in the company culture is an altruistic one. Mm-hmm. Now, if that um, sense of genuinely caring about people's well-being is to the contrary of what advertisers want, I guess therein may lie a little bit more of a difficulty. But certainly for me, it doesn't feel like coming into the guys who make Global Trends and Social Media's office, it doesn't feel like I'm stepping into some underworld cabal of like people trying to desperately claw at young kids' time and make them feel incredibly self-conscious online Mm. and like desperate for likes and things like that. There's definitely an argument to be made, I think, that you know, student problems was born of a genuine care or a genuine interest in the topic. Mm-hmm. Could you argue now that that's been monetized and is being used as a commercial vehicle? But the argument is that you're still making content that's even better and is still providing the same the same end result for users. Yeah, you know what I mean? completely. And I think um, with that comes massive responsibilities on the other side for us to be able to educate people. So we've recently done a. Um, documentary around mental health on student problems where we've been gone to Bristol University mm-hmm. where last year there was eight suicides like wow. an app year like that had very high number of suicides it's the so, number one number one killer of men under 40 yep which is a, an absolutely terrifying topic yep but yeah so and you go to university it's going to be the best three years of your life and you know a lot of people a lot of university students are wanting to commit suicide so we we have a responsibility from that side of the fence to, yes, provide content which is entertaining and relevant, but also to act as the voice of that generation where we educate them on life, on the topics that they really need to know about as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we feel like we've, I've, I've started to feel that responsibility a lot more. Um, I think the, the fact is that it's emerging, right? Yeah. You don't know. It's like when a, a new drug comes out onto the market, you don't know the side effects of it until it's been in circulation Fishing. for a while. Yeah. And the same thing with social media, that we only realised what it was, and we st- it's still emerging as what actually social media is and how all of the different platforms work, before you then move on to tech addictions. Yeah. And, and everyone's different though as well. Everyone has a different relationship with it. Absolutely. So it's very difficult to um, diagnose anyone. For so, sure. So it's like, and I guess if you ask someone what their relationship is, then they're always going to tell you it's healthy, and they're not going to really like... Because the thing is, you know, Instagram is a highlight reel. You know, you go on Instagram and you've got all your friends posting about being on holidays to get the feeling that you're um, sat there at work not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So that, that yes, it's social media, but it has a bigger impact on your life than just the actual addiction to the phone or to the, the, you know, that side of things. It has a longer lasting effect. So It's interesting because, especially with Instagram, I read this quote online which I thought was really timely and it basically said that Instagram specifically, you compare the best of everyone else's life with the worst of yours because you view your own life through a lens of uh, complete understanding of all of your failings. You see see the blooper reel and that's what sticks because our minds are Teflon for good thoughts and Velcro for bad thoughts. That's how we evolved. The person that, the the, um, Neanderthal, the human that was living in a cave that decided that they weren't worried is the one that got eaten first because yep. they were the least risk averse. Yep. 
the ones that are risk averse were the ones. So it means that we're hardwired to think about things negatively. And you're right, when you see the best of other people's lives, but the worst of yours, it does lead with a very, very harsh contrast. And it's funny, in, in this space, I think that influencers need to be more accountable because they're creating an unrealistic expectation of life, mm-hmm. which is more detrimental than us posting videos of cheese no. on our page. I agree. So I think that's that's where I think a bigger issue lies, which is the responsibility of influencers to to really, like, you know... They're, dam- they're the ones that are damaging it because they're they're showing unrealistic Well, lifestyle. theirs is more... If you're an influencer, it's a lot more of a surreptitious delivery of the brand message yep. because it, it comes about irrelevant of whether which brand is tagged in your outfits or what supplements at the front of your training session or who it is that's mm-hmm. paid for the video production or the photo to be taken. Yep. People don't see that. They see, look at the condition of this particular guy, look yep. at the arse on this particular girl, yep. look at how yep. exciting the holiday is or... Yep. She's on a boat again, or yeah, and the, and they always all say um, through their experiences and they've had hard times when a lot of them probably haven't. They may I may be doing injustice, but some of them probably have. But they're having worked with influencers. They've got quite an easy life. Mm-hmm. They don't know what stress is. They don't know what strain is, and they they're painting unrealistic expectations to young people. So there's maybe there needs to be a code of ethics that influencers yeah. should be thinking about using when they're putting stuff online. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, I think. Um, it would be interesting to see the difference between someone who does follow influencers and someone who doesn't follow any influencers. Absolutely. And let them judge things like a meal out or a holiday or like an outfit. Because if a girl, and I know it's a lot more in the female space because they are the ones that, um, not to sound sexist or anything, but they are uh, more of a user of social media for certain types oh, of I'm things. I'm going to guess you're, you're exactly in the position to know what the stats are on yeah, that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't happen to hand, but they're much more avid users. And then uh, if you compare a girl who doesn't follow any influencers versus someone who does follow influencers, and you ask them their 10 favourite brands, you'd probably get a very different answer. I agree. And then probably satisfaction. And um, like you say, you're going out for a meal. Yep. And if you've previously in the day seen that someone was at Blue Marlin Dubai, yep. one of your favourite influencers at Blue Marlin Dubai having teriyaki salmon and black cod and surrounded by million pound yachts, and then you've gone out on Valentine's Day to somewhere that doesn't fulfill that expectation. You're right, it's um, yep. it's not not a tremendously positive environment at times, is it? Yep, and these are people you never meet. You'll never meet. Mm-hmm. And that's the, what they're making you feel. It's ruining relationships, it's ruining friendships, it's ruining everything. Mm-hmm. It's making such... It's what I think anyway. So if you've got affiliations with influencers and stuff like that, would you be... I'm going to guess the answer is yes to this, but you'd be maybe pushing them to think about, be a little bit more mindful with their content and, and, and try and... Um, I, I, it's difficult because that's their livelihood as well. Right. So you've got, you've got a really balanced act. I think, um, I think it needs to be something that comes organically from the influencer space. They need to realise, some of them need to realise what they're doing. Um, That'd be nice, wouldn't it? it would maybe, nice. maybe, maybe that'll happen over the years. Um, maybe, maybe. So, moving on to another topic that both of us are really passionate mm-hmm. about. Um, I want to talk about your problem with substances that you've had over the years. Yep. Could you give us a bit of background on that, please? Yeah. It's always a fun story to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I guess my life started like anyone else's. You know, you go to university, you spend three nights a week drunk. It's life. 
Um, Edinburgh's a good night out, man. It's why, really good why, night. why not to really, why not really Monday? Good That was my Monday. <laughs> I used to finish football training at 10 and go straight to why not. Shout out Jay Glass. <laughs> and um, the Max wins. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll be watching. They're still, they're still doing it. They're still killing it. Like, why not? If anyone's going to Edinburgh, why not nightclub? What, eight years in a row, I think it's one like best yeah, club in Edinburgh. Yeah, it yeah. kills it. Monday nights. It's the one. It's got, um, they always tell me it's complete redesign. Yeah, it's got an LED, the room two's LED ceiling, yeah. LED walls, it's fantastic. Anyway, so. Um, so yeah, I, I live a normal life. Um, and I would describe myself, the reason I think Student Problems was successful is because I was just an average student. I was completely straight in the middle of the line, you know, I've not got a privileged background, I'm not I'm not from, I've got a very middle middle of the road, you know, I can Representative. Relate. Yeah, very representative, I can relate to everyone. Um, so that's why I thought it was successful, because it was, it was just what you'd expect a student to be like. Um, came to social, started social chain, um, and you know what we we had very a lot of success very quick early. Um, and, and you are what age are you about now? I'm twenty what twenty one at this point. Mm-hmm. So you're twenty one. Um, a lot of success and a lot of disposable income, and um, really no responsibility to anyone other than yourself. Um, and a lot of spare time. A lot say a lot of spare time, but you know unions and nights out. Um, so you've got a concoction there of four elements which um, fuel really a lot of partying mm-hmm. because you're 21. The hedonic lifestyle, right? You've yeah. got the means and the ends to do what you want. Exactly. Um, so it starts out like that. It starts out celebrating. You know, you've got, we've got some big client wins. We have a lot of success early on. So we all go out as a team. We spend a lot of time together having meals. And it is it genuinely at first, it's celebrating. Mm-hmm. It's This is fantastic. Um you know, flash, flash forward a year to, a year into the business, when you start to own first Rocky patches, you can't let other people know that there's a issue with cash flow and that, you know, you're looking tight for wages next month. Um, you can't have that on. You've got to put a straight face in here and, you know, business as usual. Um, but behind that kind of good face, I'm, I'm struggling, really struggling. Um, and So we're 22 now, right? Ish. 22, yeah. Yep. And the celebrations continue because there's still success mm-hmm. but every single time of these celebrations and partying I'm drinking to excess I'm doing drugs because you know we've got spare we've got money we've got the cash we've got the cash it's, it's, it's normal mm-hmm. um, but I'm I'm doing it to mask how I feel I'm doing it to escape I'm getting away from the the stresses the anxieties of what the real real picture is and it's almost this oxymoron of we are celebrating everyone, all the staff, all the team are celebrating because we've just done something spectacular. But I know deep down that things are not rosy. Mm. So I'm yay, happy. And then I'm on the outside. On the outside. And then kind of allowing the, the substances to carry that through carry a little bit and play the role. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, be that person. Um, and that continues for a bit. Um, how were you, you able to function at work? Because it's, it's, it's not bad at this point. It's okay. not bad. It's it's no different than what the everyone else would be doing. It's just the nights out. It's the same. It's the same. It's but I'm starting to feel that I'm becoming reliant on that lifestyle, um, and, it, and that's that's when I um, I um, start to feel something. And then I just my whole life would start to turn into that kind of thing. Um, I met got got a girlfriend who was really bad for me really bad for me she created this picture that social chain was was wrong and that you know me and her were gonna live a happy life and that it was just a horrible relationship Mm -hmm. um 
and the stresses at work get a little, not the stresses, but the situation at work is a little bit tighter, more responsibility, more people join, the numbers we start talking are bigger. You know, we're talking million pound contracts, we're talking, you know, a couple of legal battles come our way as well, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is you know, all adds up to it. Um, and then, you know, I think I, I'm trying to think how old am I, 24, yeah. So, um, there's a kind of a three month period where I break up with this girl because I get rid of her. Um, and then the next three months is where it deteriorates for me. Mm-hmm. I um, I start drinking on weekdays. That's when, and I always drank wine, so red wine. So I'd, I'd, I'd come home and have a glass of wine, you know, it became my reward for a hard day. I'd have a glass of wine. And it got to a point where the minute alcohol passed my lips, it would be a bottle, it would be two bottles. It wouldn't stop. Yeah. And that would be on a weekday and I'd get up and I'd go. And a couple of things happened that really hit me hard. Um, so it was Thursday night. We went to neighbourhood opening here. Mm-hmm. It's a good night. Yeah. Um, I got absolutely off my head. Um, and it's a Thursday. And I go home and I fall down the hill at my house and break my ankle. And it's a Wednesday. It's a, it's a Friday morning. And I'm in hospital. Sat, sat there in A&E. Shit's going on at work. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing this? Yeah. What the fuck am I doing this for? Um, that's, that was like strike one, strike, and then like strike two. Um, well, that was my birthday. Right. So I'm 23. Mm-hmm. My birthday. I go out uh, with everyone. It's great. It's going to be a heavy one. Heavy one, obviously. Yeah. But the day afterwards, which is my actual birthday, that's my night out. I spent my, my, my 23rd birthday locked in a dark room watching a movie. Hating life. Hating life. Everyone wanted like, let's go for a meal. It's your birthday. Come on, let's go. I'm just, no, I'll stay here. I spent the whole day in a dark room on my birthday yeah. and I'm thinking about everything, thinking about my life and that's when I gave up substances, I was like, okay, it's drugs, it has to be drugs, you know, I'm, I can't, I can't be like this on weekends, this is ruining my, this is ruining. so I think, you know, I'll be fine. So I do, I do six months, six weeks without any, any drugs and then, uh, but, but still drinking, still drinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. then I go to the races, um, I have a great day, honestly, a really good day, I'm a little bit more happy. Um, but I come back home at like 6pm you know off my head it's, yeah. I've been invited there by a friend in a sponsor's box so I've got limited alcohol all day all day <laughs> and it's a nice day and I've still got a problem where I touch alcohol I won't stop drinking I yeah. always, always have one in my hand and um, I my behaviour that day was um, I got thrown out of Piccolino's in Old Edge for stealing a bottle of wine from someone's table and shouting abuse at people wow it was a different person. Yeah. And um, I said some mean things to, some perhaps some bad things to a, a good friend of mine. Yeah. And it was the first time I've ever hurt somebody else. Yeah. And the minute I hurt somebody else, I knew I needed to stop because I'm not, that's not me. Yeah. I could deal with hurting myself. I was beating myself up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed that a little bit because it was punishing myself. That catharsis a little. Yeah. But I couldn't deal with that hurting somebody else. I would, I would, I nearly got run over by a, a car once, you know, a couple of things that really, really jumped when I was drunk, but I could deal with that because it was, it was me, you. it was me. But the minute it moved into me doing damage to someone I cared about, um, I knew I had to stop. And then I woke up that day, I had a very, very frank conversation with Steve, who wasn't there that day, but heard about it. And I said that I'm going to stop, I'm not going to drink again, mm-hmm. never going to drink again. So... How long sober are you now? Well, 20 months. 20 months? 20 months, yeah. 
from that day from that day never gone back cold turkey cold turkey and what was it like the first couple of weeks it's tough because you change your life it's not it's not because of the alcohol and you need, the first I always say this is funny the first weekend I woke up hungover I didn't go out <laughs> my body my, my body yeah. would take, needs to recover it is so it was it's the problem with binge drinking your body gets used to this shock in its system every five days yeah. you know it's, it's, um, it's a functioning organism it's used to repetitiveness. Yeah. I woke up. I woke up hungover because my body was it was dehydrated because it was probably producing more um, things in the liver, pancreas to break down the alcohol. And it, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. <laughs> it was like, you all right, Don? What's going on? What's yeah. going we on? need some wine. Yeah, we need some wine. Um, so that was weird. So the first weekend I felt hungover. So you don't. I didn't feel the benefits. It wasn't until this is my problem with dry dry January. You don't feel the benefits until like week six. Yeah. So it's. Dry January is great, but the real benefits don't come till afterwards. Kick in afterwards. 100%. Exactly. Um, it felt difficult because I had to change my entire lifestyle. It wasn't the alcohol, it was my lifestyle. I had to remove myself. Well, you've taken it far beyond social drinking here, haven't you? Mm-hmm. This is habitual needing drinking. Yep. Jordan Peterson makes a really interesting quote about people that have got substance abuse addiction. And he says that the addiction isn't a problem, a serious problem until you need to take the substance to deal with the withdrawals from the yep. substance. Yep. And, and until, you take, until you're drinking to cure a hangover, because you're always hungover, yep. you're kind of in a different realm. And as soon as you cross that line, and I that, think... And that's what um, my weekend was. Because someone broke it down to me. Friday, my body used to get ready. I used to feel getting ready for it to be... <laughs> this is, it's, honestly, it used to feel like it was getting ready. On a seven-day cycle. It is. Getting ready for alcohol to be in it. So I'd get this like natural high come Friday at like three o'clock where I'd get energy. So it and knows that it's got it the wine coming, yeah. Yeah, it knows it's got everything coming for it. Yeah. So three o'clock I'd be like, yeah, come on, you know, feeling it. Yeah. This is kind of like, and my mind knows I'm away, from, I'm, on the end of the week, I'm away from the stress. I, can, I don't have to reply to e- emails or something for a couple of days. Yeah. So I'm probably excited. So that's Friday, yeah. That's Friday at like three o'clock. So your mind's out of work, your mind's already somewhere else. You go out, you go out Friday. Saturday written off. You can't know if you're in the day. Yeah. You've got Saturday. So Sunday you're recovering from some you're recovering from Saturday and um, Friday. Friday. And then do you know what? I was seeing this girl and you know what we invented? Tequila Sundays. Fantastic. Fantastic. So we had a couple of tequila Sundays. Mm-hmm. So you and can that'll have, fix the hangover and, and at least fix. taper it off a little bit. Exactly. So we had a couple of drinks Sunday night together. Yeah. And that then is Monday. Monday you're recovering. Monday's tough, so you gotta have a glass of wine at the end of the day because exactly. you got through a day hungover. Exactly. And then, you know, maybe, maybe not Tuesday or Wednesday because you're a little bit fresher. <laughs> and then... You're winding, you're winding back up for the weekend. Maybe. Exactly. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I think that it'll be very enlightening for people to hear someone who has, from the outside looking in, definitely made up the dominance hierarchy, mm-hmm. has got an awful lot going for them, but has struggled with something that most people elect to do and find, yep. uh, find enjoyable. And... I think one of the key one of the key problems when you're talking about sobriety or when you're talking about trying to control alcohol is that every drink that you have makes a subsequent drink more difficult to not have. Yep. Yep. It's like a feedback loop. Yep. You have one and your inhibitions lower. Yep. And then you have another and your inhibitions lower. Yep. And then before before long you're like, oh well, like what's what's getting a bottle of wine? Yep. And if it's you, you know, you you're on a night out, what's getting a bag of drugs in? What's yep. getting this? What's getting that? And do you know what I mean? And then who says no to the after party at your house? Who says no to 
telling your friends something that's hurtful or doing whatever, the inhibitions just continue to get and broken then, down. And then you also go into the, the bad food. Yep. And that's a whole nother kettle of fish. Yeah. Because you just, then you just, you look at what you put, you know, and one of the guys said it here is your brain cells are made of every single thing that you put into your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, your brain really cells. Yeah, it's the first time you've heard that. Yeah, that's really true. <laughs> that's going to change your mind, other things. But I'm like, okay, everything that goes into my mouth makes my brain. Okay. And then you look at What's I'm, my brain built on? Domino, Dominoes and tequila. Dominoes and tequila, oh God. Yeah. What sort of what sort of life is that going to be? I think it's really interesting. Man. It's re- it's very very uh, insightful to hear from someone because you hear these stories of like child prodigies and you yep. know Macaulay Culkin esque <laughs> characters that have got too much too soon. Yeah. Uh, but it's very interesting to hear it firsthand from somebody who definitely did have that. Yep. And I think that alcoholism is usually perceived by people to be, or a problem with alcohol is usually perceived by people to be a mid-50s guy with a bottle of scotch whiskey yep. laid on his couch yep. sipping it from that he's unemployed he's on benefits he's this that and the other but it's not a problem with alcohol is that you cannot deal with what alcohol does to you in your body yep. if you have I've got a number of friends that range from introvert to extrovert from depressive to happy and the guys that are depressed or that have a depressive personality they need to restrict their drinking. One hundred percent. Is that just you saying that they need to? It's me. It's me. That's me speaking from personal personal experience. I do not deal well with hangovers. Mm -hmm. And then, if you throw into that mix, if one of your personality traits is being industrious and you've got high goals and you have high standards for yourself, they say that um, the ultimate pain is when the person you are meets the person you could have been. Yeah. And that that's the difference in pain of what you feel. Yeah. Like, if you set your goals very very high. And then you start to bring yourself down and your performance suffers. Performance at work, performance in relationships, performance with everything. If you do that to yourself, you're electing to make yourself slower. And one of the mad things, I always use this example, especially about people that that use really, really heavy drugs. So if you talk about pills or MDMA that kind of wash a sequence or a night's experience with the same flavor. So you hear guys will go out and they'll go on a stag do and they go to Vegas. They travel halfway around the world to go to Vegas and they get absolutely blitzed, out of their mind, can't remember half the night and then they'll take a drug that is so immersive that they literally could have gone down the road to the yep. pub and had the same experience. Yep. The only difference that you choose when you go away on holiday and you decide to fill yourself full of alcohol and drugs is what environment do I want to have my come down and hang over in? Yep. That's the only thing that you change. Yep, completely. Completely, and you know what? I had the perfect come down environment. I had a dark room. <laughs> I it was just, it was like it was like a cinema. It was a yeah. cinema room. Uh-huh. I had a dark room full of snacks. The blackout blinds. Blackout the- everything, honestly, and it would be pitch black. So you know that's the dream. Yeah. I, I used to I used to remember planning my Sundays. Yeah. I had a lot of dominoes. This this the weekend around rolled around the come down. You know this is the this is the treat for myself and. Mentally rewarding yourself for a come down. How is that ever going to get you to, to where you want to be? Um, and you're completely right in the point that when you get to when you get to like the pain of staying the same, you know you sat there looking like this isn't me. This yeah. isn't who I want to be. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be this person in five years. The person I want to be in five years is doing it. Da, 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 da. I need to do something. I need to make a change. Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely some people who don't have a problem with substances. I have a, a, I'm a club promoter, right? That's what I do yeah, for yeah. a living. Like we see this, we see every single 
person. Strata. Can you can you see the people who are suffering? Or not you, on a night out. Not on a night out. No, because everyone on a night out again, you've got alcohol brain. The guys that are on a night out, even the ones that have got a depressive personality, are the ones that are suffering. It needs to be chronic, like really yeah. severe, for someone to be in the middle of a night out, ten beers deep, and still not happy. Yeah. yeah. Because again, the alcohol and the drugs they wash the environment yeah. with the rose-tinted coloured yeah. glasses, and then everyone's having a good time. And they're the life and soul of the party. But a lot of the time, it's the people. If you want to try and identify the people that are struggling the most with the substances, look at the ones that are the most outgoing on a night yeah, out. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know my mine got bad when I started to just drink alone. Yeah, that was when that's when I knew. When I'm sat there, I have a couple of nights where I've just like I remember. If you remember drinking a couple of bottles of wine at home alone on Saturday because I wasn't going out. I don't know why. Yeah, and I I lived uh, 45 minutes away, and I texted a friend to ask him if he could bring some coke. Yeah, to the house. An hour away. An hour away. On your own. On my own. So you can just rack up lines and sniff yeah. away. Can you imagine that? And that's, and I was like, man, I, do you know what it is? I, like I say, there's absolutely people for whom substances aren't a problem. I have a, a wide range of friends who party to different, differing degrees. Yeah. People who go out and are sober because they choose to, people who go out and sober, sober consciously because they know it's mm-hmm. bad for them, people who drink and people who party to excess. And within each of those categories, you have people who are able to recover from it and for whom it is absolutely fine. Yep. But, you know if you're one of those people, you know if you're not. You absolutely know, for me, if you are waking up the next day, you might not know it's because of the alcohol, but if you're waking up the next day and you feel worse than a hangover should make you feel, and you know what the cat, I think you, you know how a hangover should be, mm-hmm. but if you start becoming self-referential, yep. and if you can't get out of bed for the day, and if you start thinking that I'm not actualizing my potential, all the things that you've identified, that's... You know that's a that's a highlight. For yeah. it. So talk to me about what sobriety's done. God, what hasn't it done? Um, I've lost about three and a half stone. Have you seen a picture? <laughs> Have you seen a picture? No. I'll show you one. I'll pop it up on the screen. Pop it up on the screen, but this is this is old. Three and a half stones. So that's like what, like eighteen kilos, fifteen kilos, something like that. Twenty-one. Twenty-one kilos. Yeah, I was. Uh, so that's that's me. That's uh-huh. me. Oh wow, that photo looks like it's been stretched. Yeah. That photo looks like it's been stretched in widescreen, and but it's not, you're just massive. Just massive, I'll show you from a side profile. So this was me. You're completely spherical. I know, I know. That isn't it. Which is crazy, absolutely uh, crazy. And that one there. Oh wow. Yeah, that's, um, that's a different guy to the one that I'm looking at at the moment. Yeah. yeah. It's a different shaped face. It's a different shaped You've face. You've got a completely round Hair's face. different as well. Yeah, for sure. So you take on sobriety and then what, I get time. what are the other changes? I get make? time. I, I, I acquired myself a lot, spent a lot more time. Well, um, you're, not, you're not spending it getting, not spending getting a game smashed or coming person. down. Yeah. It's, it's, to interject at that point on the time thing, even if anyone that's listening, even if you think that maybe you don't have a problem in terms of being self-referential with your um, own opinions on your yep. own substance use, yep. if you look at your year, time's the only thing we can't get back, right? Yeah. If you look at your year as a set of year-end accounts for a company, yep. and you wanted to maximise profitability, which would be available time to do with what you value, yep. what you would do is you would look at the biggest costs that you could get rid of on that time. And if you look through that and every single week 
you go, your accountant looks at you and he says, what's, what's between 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. every Saturday? You do fuck all. And then on a Sunday, you're working at 50% capacity. And then on a Monday, you're still only at 80% capacity. Yeah. What the fuck are you doing? And you think, right, okay, even if I don't have a problem with it, just from a pure time efficiency perspective, if I want to maximize my experience of life in the mere 80 years that we've got on this planet, I need to make sure that I'm not spasticating myself on a yep. weekly basis. It's the problem, the thing is, it's the routine. Is if you do it every week, that's when it starts to become like question. That's when I think someone should question themselves because there's so much many, so much more things to do out there. Yep. You know, we do we we do live busy lives. You know, we do work hard. Everyone does work hard. Um, so having that sense of doing something you want to do. Yes. And it's. N- Despite what people think, it's not going out getting messed up with their friends all the time. There's other things they will find that they enjoy. Absolutely. So I found that I love running. I love working out. Um, You'd have known that the guy in those photos loved running. Honestly. It genuinely doesn't look like you could have run to Burger King and back. I would have, I would have run to Burger King. <laughs> I would have run to Burger King. <laughs> would have run to Burger King, your flights into the dealers. That exactly. Was the only three the, the only place I'd have gone to. Yeah. Um, so found out I, love work, I loved running. I got a, um, I guess I replaced one addiction with another, but I love how running made, made me felt that runner's high man yeah it's true runner's high is so true because um, there's an element that you're running away from your problems as well a little bit a little bit but defeating um, them as well with every step exactly so you've got the positives as well um, so I fell in love with that um, fell in love with the outdoors just in general being outdoors being mm-hmm. being around um, and then you know other things like writing writing I've got a blog um, hashtag ad yeah I just talk about what I do and then the running the running side of things it's taken me all over the world I wanted to go see some places with it so I'm going to Lisbon next weekend to do how many how many marathons have you got planned is it like 10 I've, I've got I'm doing 12 runs one, one a month building up different sizes like 5k 10k yeah, yeah so I'm doing a half marathon next month in the Next week in Lisbon. Okay. Then I'm doing one in Alloa in Scotland because I'm going to go up to Edinburgh. Gonna that's go, going to be cold. That's going to be really cold. Yeah. And then I'm doing a London Marathon in April. Nice. So, and then I'm doing Ironman. No way. Yeah. Where's the Ironman? Barcelona. That's sick. Yeah, that's just, worst just, just for the weather. Worst place. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, a swim, it's just a couple of, bit of a swim, bit of a bike ride, bit of a run. That's amazing. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like I say, there will definitely be people listening to this that think that's not me. Like, I don't have a problem with, with substances. I like to go out with my friends, mm-hmm. and that, for me, is what I want to do with my weekends, and that's sweet. But I said during a, a podcast that I did with the CrossFit guys that I think that around about 25, there's, like, a fitness menopause yeah. that occurs yeah. where you stop being concerned. If you've been, like, a gym bro for a while, you stop being concerned with leanness at all costs, mm-hmm. and you start to realise you're chronically aware of your own mortality as you as you approach 30 yeah. and you think I need to be functional I have to be able to put my put my socks on and get up a set of stairs without yeah. getting out of breath so you start to think about more functional stuff with that and I think that the same you can go through a party menopause as well Completely. and it's delivered at varying ages you know yeah. you've you've maybe had an early indoctrination yeah. you went straight to pro you went straight to pro level at party, <laughs> didn't you? yeah I kind of yeah I went from student to professional yeah yeah professional missed out everything in between yeah no there was no club games you went straight to world cup straight yeah (laughs) um and you know i think with that as well people realize and like for some people it's like being in a relationship right like that kind of opens people's eyes because the girlfriend doesn't want you going out and getting wrecked all the time and the boyfriend feels uncomfortable about you being in clubs with the guys or Mm -hmm. just generally you want to spend time together because you've got someone around yep but 
even without that, I think that it is really important for people to realise that there's more to life than going out and getting leathered. And yeah. you know, I'm saying this from I'm the guy that makes his that living is, yeah. off the back of you're this. You're having to go at me for social media and you're like, you're having at me. Well, shoveling we, people into clubs every weekend. <laughs> what can I say? It's you know, my business partner of ten years. I'd, I had a chat with him the other day, and he was talking about he'd gone to go and see one of his friends who was in rehab, who yeah. was 44 now. And he was thinking to himself at the time, like, what is it that we're doing to people when we get them to go out on a night out? Like, but what you, you hit the nail on the head that the problem is going out and getting blitzed every weekend. Yeah. Some people can go out and they can have, I've got a number of friends that can do it that are in the, the division two and division three parties and they're able to go out, they can do a five pint night, they can wake up the next morning and maybe they shouldn't drive, but after they've had a bacon sandwich, they're yep. sweet to go. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And yep. that's fine. And I think it's about everyone really needs to ask themselves their relationship with alcohol. What? Do they think it's healthy? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a hard question to ask yourself because you don't, never want to self-analyse negatively. Um, 100%. Uh, I do think that there is a subculture. This is this is my, this is my thinking, is that there is a the vegan trend that's come up in the last couple of years has yep. been started really grassroots. It really... Um, it is run by the youth people, yep. run by the youth who really are, I guess, passionate about animal protection, but also what being a vegan does for you. Yep. You know, there's a lot of studies around. Vegan? No, not yet. Right. I may, I may end up being you vegan. No, I'm not. Vegetarian? No, neither. I've tried. I mean, I'm aware that I definitely don't eat anywhere near enough vegetables, so yeah. I need to, I need to push that. One of my friends put an interesting Facebook status up the other day talking about um, it's trendy to be vegan at the moment, it right? Is, yeah. It is really, really trendy. But the same people that are giving someone grief for wearing a Canada Goose jacket will also be the same one that will spend 100 quid on two bags of coke that's been done off the back of dead children in Colombia. Yeah, yeah. You know, gang wars and all the rest of the stuff that get your get those drugs up your nose yeah. are just as damaging and to a lot more sentient beings than the coyote that's died to make a jacket or whatever it might be. So... But again, with that, what are people doing? They're being very selective about what they want to be self-referential about. Exactly, and also it works on social media for how they're perceived. Oh, absolutely, the self-branding of that's fine. Yeah. You're never going to put up a video of you snorting a line, but you can definitely put up a video of you saying that it's bad to yeah. share a video of someone yeah. trapping a coyote for a jacket. Yeah, I, I, I think I think I think the teetotal sober movement will will come soon. Mm-hmm. I think there'll be a rise. And young people, which have always seen, seen at universities, there's actually a decrease in the amount of time students go out, mainly because of money. Mm-hmm. But I think there'll be um, a little bit more education on the space. I think you'll have generations of young people who choose not to. Drink. I agree. Well, I mean, my master's dissertation was the effectiveness of anti alcohol advertising on students at Newcastle. Yeah. And it basically found that none of it was. Right. That people wear the crazy stories as a badge of honour. They literally say, like, how was your night out? Man, it was crazy. Yep. I woke up in hospital. Yeah. Hang on. Like, that, uh, just, <laughs> Think just about reframe it. the conversation they, that you're having there. They did the same thing with smoking when the smoking ban came in place. Yeah. They, they tried for years and years and years to obviously get people to smoke less, saying how, what it's going to do to your fingertips, what it's going to do to your hair. But it wasn't until smoking was banned in clubs and you had to go outside to smoke that it became un- uncool and smoking mm-hmm. stopped. Yeah. Because suddenly, this is barrier to entry, you've got to go outside and leave the pie, so people stop smoking. Yeah. It's interesting. I think what's specifically interesting about this conversation is that we've got two people 
coming at sobriety from opposite ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. So for the people that don't know, I did six months sober last year, which began December 2016 and finished in May 2017. And then I did six months of partying again and drinking. But after my six months of sobriety, which I only did to see if I could do it, mm -hmm. I, I knew that I, based on the time availability uh, set of accounts that I came up with, I knew that if I wanted to be really successful for a period and I yeah. had some plans of things that I wanted to achieve, I needed to get some more time out. I needed to squeeze more time out of my day. And that sobriety enabled me to do that. But we're coming at it from someone who has used sobriety to stop an addiction or to stop a habitual um, problem with substances. And then someone who's coming from it who I wouldn't have classed myself as having a problem with alcohol, I'd have only drank maybe once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. But the times that I did, it wasn't good for me. Yep. So I guess you've got a fairly wide spectrum, spectrum of people there that are covered. Yeah. That for whom sobriety. So you were talking really interesting what you touched on about the six week point. So I didn't track it at the time. I should have written a diary and I didn't about what the sobriety was doing to me. Mm -hmm. Because I think I guess a lot of what sobriety for you would have meant would have been not doing negative things before they start to do positive things. Yeah. Whereas for me, I was kind of starting, I guess, from a baseline of okay day to day. And then improving from there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, yeah. I've always said to my friends that have talked to me about it, after about two months, my mental agility oh, and my verbal dexterity just went through the roof. It's ridiculous, yeah. And on that on that point, um, it's, it's think uh, people, everyone listening, I think, it's think deeply about when was the last time you can pitch yourself going a month without alcohol <laughs> from being 16 years old. I use this story all the time. You can't. I couldn't. I couldn't. You know, you do you do a dry. <laughs> like, yeah, if you do a dry, if you do a dry January, yeah. okay, you wake up and get new New Year hungover, so you won't be have alcohol <laughs> system to the second or the third, and then you know what? You'll give in the last weekend because it's still January, so you only do like three, four. What weeks. a way to humble everyone that's just completed dry January. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't dry January. It was dry three weeks. It's the dry three weeks. You know, it's, got, it's a bit of a refresh while I get back into the gym, so, and it's not long enough to really notice a difference. No, I agree. I think. Six months is a really intimidating amount of time, but for me, the, the changes that it made for me were, yeah. were absolutely fantastic. Like uh, verbal dexterity, mental agility, quality of sleep, um, ability to regulate emotions. Yep. Uh, everything. Energy. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And it, what it does is I think it, it starts to let you deal with some of the things that are more, um, that are more chronic, that have been yep. around for a little bit longer. The problems that require a deeper look at yourself things to do with your values and whether you're living with virtue and what um what values you want to be cultivating in the long term as, yep. a, as a person because it's very difficult to think about i'm a i'm a living a virtuous life that is actuating my potential when you're hanging out of your ass filling your mouth full of dominoes on a sunday <laughs> or you're waking up with some girl whose name you don't know it's completely complete true because the the questions you ask yourself in them situations are very small you don't ask yourself big questions yeah you know, you're, when you're in a state of hungover, your body's telling you, I need food, I need drink, I need a sudden short Very term, short term right? gratification urges. This is what I need to get over the current situation. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like you say, when you've got a bit of headspace and a bit of um, mental bandwidth to ask yourself these difficult questions. Like, I've never ever thought of, what are my values? What, what are my values? Someone, I actually did see a therapist for a bit to try and get over it. Um, and one of the things he, he said to me is you need to write down your values 
Uh, all your actions need to be in line with your values of who you want to be as a person. I was like, what the hell are my values? I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Because it's all been washed under the rug, man. And you're right, like, if you're, if you're from 16 and spending time recreationally for you is going out and getting blitzed with your mates, you don't, like, you don't actually know what life is outside of that. No. And then all that you need to do is add in a little bit of um, vicariously living your life through other people, through social media, yep. through TV, yep. and all the rest of the stuff. And before you know it, like... You beat yourself up over, over where you are. Yeah, you... you you're causing the problem or you're, you're creating, you're building the wall that is so high you can't climb over it anymore yeah. and you want to see the other side. Yeah. And I think that, that that level of sort of helplessness or, or just dissatisfaction, yeah. it's just dissatisfaction and I think that it's, it's something that people don't have to deal with and I think that's the, that's the, the key takeaway yeah. from this is that you don't have to go out and get absolutely blitzed because again like we say there's differing leagues of party yeah. right yeah there's there's the ones who've gone to the absolute extreme and there's the ones that have that are able to manage their alcohol mm. use and for the ones that do then you know yeah. crack on sobriety will help and it will be a really really good test for you in mm. terms of can you win something can you win a battle that most people couldn't like that's the that's the big thing there it's like proving to yourself that you can do something like no that that 99% of the rest of the population can't. And I think that is a, is a, is a big thing because it's a sense of achievement. It's not Absolutely. like, it's like a, it's real... Um, it's a badge of honour. Yeah, I'm a, a badge of honour, yeah, yeah. Not that I work in a hospital, but I'm, I'm sober. Yeah. Um, and it, there's an interesting thing. I met a guy who, who I've known for years from York who's probably like, probably the fit, well, like the fittest, like best body guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Apart from Chris, <laughs> hey. that, I, that I know, um, he bodybuilds, and I met him on, on like when I must have been like month three into being sober, and he was like, "I can't, I could never do what you do." And I was still there for a minute, like, <laughs> "Oh, so disciplined with his fitness." This guy's so disciplined in his life. He 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 looks like a god. He lifts up, and you could never do what I do. That was like, hang on a minute, I'm doing something here that is so far away from norm. But I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to discover new things that people, people don't do. It's really rare for people to take notice of much of what you post online if it isn't something that's really monumental or yeah. about your family. Yeah. Like if it's not, I'm having a kid, I'm getting married, I'm moving away. Like for the most part, unless it's something really funny that, that bangs. Yeah, yeah. Like and it's like a 300 liker about someone that's parked on your street. You've been following my tweets, have you? Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, yeah unless it's one of those ones like you don't and you don't people no. don't come up and speak to you but for, I only posted about it maybe three or four times last year and the number of people that came up to me you write and said mate are you, are you still doing that six months sober thing like yeah fucking hell like what's going on yeah. like it's it's not that big of a deal mate I, I didn't know how you do it you know it's just like it's just one of them things like you've got you know how do you not like and after a while when people say oh, do you want a drink and you go no and you can say to them, it's without right. it being twatty, you can yeah. say, no, I'm, I'm doing six months sober or I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm doing a period of sobriety. Um, so, and, and on that point as well, the biggest reason why people say they could never do it is because they don't think they could have fun without it. And you're, you're there in a situation where you're still out with people, mm-hmm. your friends, you're going out, you, you're actually in the night out, you're out later probably than any ever before. <laughs> yeah. And you're actually having more fun. Yeah. And that's like the biggest, the biggest thing I hear from people is I can never do it because I feel like I'll be boring and I don't know what my friends will think of me. So here we go. People use alcohol 100% on a night out to mask the fact 
that they're not as extroverted as their friends think that they are. Yep. Then that they're worried that they're not as good. So that is the equivalent of taking a performance enhancing drug to be able to perform at an adequate level at your sport of choice. Yep. So if you are on a night out and you don't, you've got approach anxiety, as pickup artists would call it, for going up and speaking to a girl. Like I'd remember when I was in uni, I'd be like, oh, I like, can't go talk to that girl, knock back five Jaeger bombs, and then Suddenly. you wake up with it the next morning. Because yep. you're like, oh, well, I don't know what I said, but it worked. But it got rid of the, the yeah. inhibitions got lowered and the approach anxiety went away. And the same thing goes for being with your friends. Like, there's this funny quote that I know from online that says, nothing good ever happens after two in the morning. And you're like, the last hour of a club night, unless you're in somewhere like that's a late night venue, if you're in a typical club that's 10 till three or 11 till three, the final, and I watch it, like, I sit and I look, like, if you want a bit of advice, leave the club at 2 in the morning. Like, leave the club at 2.30 in the morning, because nothing good happens in the final half an hour or the final hour. It's people stumbling out, it's issues at the bar, it's people getting in scraps, it's this, that, and the other. Like, you can have the lion's share of the night with none of the regret the next morning and none of the problems the next morning, and on top of that, you can remember it. Yep. And you know what? If you drive, it's cheaper. Yeah. Because you drive there, you drive your friends, drop off, you go when you want to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been out. I go out as much now as I did then mm-hmm. and have a better time. And I'm, sure. I completely agree with the point of two. Because <laughs> there's, there's, there's this moment, right, when you're with your friends, okay? And it's it's um, it's normally about one thirty, two o'clock, where things deteriorate for them. They go from having normal conversation to just, just being a mess and it's you sit there and you're completely fine it's like this right, is a time <laughs> that's a time relief that's yeah. a calling bell so here's the here's the next point um, we did this discussion once I completed the six months sober mm-hmm. um, with a guy called James Bailey who is from Basel and he brought up this really really interesting point I'd love to hear your thoughts on it yep. he said that curing an addiction doesn't involve going cold turkey it involves the reintroduction of the substance on your terms mm-hmm. so can you ever see yourself in the either short, medium or long term reintroducing or attempting to reintroduce alcohol? If you can tell me one reason reason why. If anyone can tell me one reason why I should have it in my body. Okay. So because alcohol and other substances yep. are as much of a part of the experience of life as anything else is. Yep. Now, you could say, as I do to people when they ask about why am I not drinking as much, my main reason is I've served my time. Yeah. Like, the same way you do you, yep. you, you, um, military service, yep. I'm like, I've served my time partying, I did a decade of partying, yep. and right now I don't need to. But you could argue that by not reintroducing alcohol, or by not using alcohol, that again, you're now living in limit, a limited, limited yep. life on one side. Because, don't get it wrong, like... I've had some fucking wicked nights absolutely out of my tree. Like, I have had some really, really fun times. Yeah. And that's not to... I absolutely would not have been able to achieve those nights out sober. Yeah. There's an element of the night... Like, we can sing the praises of sobriety all we want, but there's some nights out that just get going because everyone's blitzed. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think... um, Definitely, definitely not for the very foreseeable future. (laughs) I don't think... I don't think it aligns with with me, with me and my values at all. The same, and this is going to sound really stupid. The same way, um, same way some people are vegetarian, vegetarian doesn't. It's not them. I I don't. I honestly feel that I don't need it. I think I have fun, um, and I guess on the second part, then maybe I'm not not over the addiction. 
Interesting. I think I think that there's definitely it, it shows the fact that you're able to uh, make that admission shows how much time you'd spent being self-reflective. Yep. Because a lot of people wouldn't have even be, been able to identify the addiction in the first place or yep. that the habit was a problem. Yep. Let alone 20 months down the line to be able to say I've still got more of this journey to go before I can actually consider going back in the other yeah. direction. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a huge fear. My, I, I lived my life running away from that moment where I knew I had to stop. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I live to not, never feel like that ever again. So there's a, an interesting thing. I'm doing Jordan Peterson Day at the moment. Um, there's a, an experiment that was done with rats. Put rats into um, a tube, yep. and they hadn't been fed for a while. They touched a spring around the tail, and they put cheese at the end and they wafted the smell of cheese in so they could smell the food and the rats pulled a particular force yeah. on this spring. Then what they did was they wafted the smell of a cat in from behind them and you'd have thought the rats are starving, they're gonna pull as hard as they can already, but they didn't. The amount of force that they exerted increased. And what he says is that in life, you don't just need to run towards something that you want, you need to run away from something that you fear. Yep, yeah, that's why I run so much. <laughs> Dom, man. I've really, I've really, really enjoyed this. I'd love to do it again. Um, I'm going to put the links to Teetotal Runner and everything else. Yep. Uh, social chain, guys, if you want to check it out, or Hogwarts Logic, or just look on your Facebook feed or your Instagram feed. There's probably going to be something from you guys that pops <laughs> up on there. I really appreciate your time, man. No, thank, thank you, you so Chris. much. Cheers. Thanks, man.